I I wanted you to get hot for this. It will not be as long as Paul Scholes. Well, no one's as long as Paul Scholes. I still get goosebumps when I hear that music. He's got Scott Parker! <laughs> you can't let it go, man! You can't let it go. Come on, Mark. That's what Be professional. Oh, I can't argue it, because it's true. You've Shove got 2 nil by proxy now. <laughs> <laughs> and my mum was like, this is disgusting. This is disgusting. Welcome back to another episode of Still Nil Nil. I'm again joined by my two co-hosts. Sam Greaves, Scott Parker's number one fan, nah. and, and Sam Wiggett, the man who doesn't know what age you are in primary school. <laughs> hey, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> How's your week been, Wiggett? It's been good, it's been good. I mean, not much has changed since the last pod, but this weekend we've got live Bundesliga football to keep us entertained, so very much looking forward to supporting Jaden Sancho and Dortmund. <laughs> and who else for Dortmund? Erling Braut Harland, he's supposed to be quite good. <laughs> Emma Chan. How's <laughs> uh, your week been, Greaves? Good. It, I find they fly by. I, I don't know why. The, the days just kind of mould into one. It does not feel like a week since we did this last, which no, I guess is a good you... thing. And again, I've had lots of messages, probably mostly about the Newcastle debate, which has been good. Good, 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 good. My week, uh, in case you guys are wondering, because you didn't ask. Uh, <laughs> I am wondering. I am wondering. <laughs> well, I, I finally went back to work after seven weeks off, so that was a bit weird. Again, I think, like you said, Greaves, the week just goes so fast. Um, like not having margarita at midday? Oh, I still did that. No, um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was weird. It was weird. I think you, your attitude to, attitude to alcohol changes maybe slightly. Yeah, I can um, nah, it's good. It's good to be back in a routine, definitely. Last week's episode, we started with a poll from Instagram, which I think we all enjoyed getting other people's opinions and, and reacting to. So we've done that again for this week's episode. So last week, we put a poll out and the poll was based on who do you think is the biggest club outside the Premier League so we gave you again four options we gave you Leeds United Nottingham Forest Sunderland and Sheffield Wednesday so the results of the vote were Sheffield Wednesday got 6% of the vote Nottingham Forest and Sunderland both got 11% and Leeds absolutely romped home with 72% of the vote Wow Landslide Landslide Again Again, one of us hasn't voted this week, but it isn't Wiggy, it's me. So I'm I'm gonna say I'm not surprised by that personally. How about what are you, what are your initial reactions to that, Wiggy? It, it, it's not surprising that Leeds have absolutely dominated there, really. Those were picked because we knew it would get people talking. The lower league debate always gets people talking and people are passionate about it, and I love how passionate people are about it. I put those four teams out there with looking at the league structures and who's had the most success. Not necessarily in our lifetime. I can see why, put it this way, I can see why people have picked Leeds. I can see why it got the majority of the votes. Was it my vote? Not necessarily. All right, Greaves, what did you think? Well, I I also am not surprised. I did vote for Leeds. I guess that I'm I'm happy to to debate with Wigget as to what he voted for and why that was. But I'd like to start with, Wigget said he's not surprised that he didn't vote for Leeds. So if, if you're not surprised, you expected Leeds to win. Why didn't you vote for Leeds? Leeds were the first thing that came to my mind for the biggest club outside the Premier League. Doing some research, actually, when I've looked at most of the statistics, they don't come out on top. Disagree. You've got every right to disagree. That's what we, that's what this pod's there for. <laughs> okay. Who did you vote for, Wigget? With crunching the numbers and looking at everything, European success, uh, success, uh, domestic success, 
average attendances. I think mm. it's hard not to suggest Sunderland are a bigger team. Controversial. Can I can I knock those off one by one? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I've <clears throat> I've crunched the numbers on attendance. Now, the last three seasons, Leeds had by far the highest average attendance of all the options. Going for promotion in the top in a championship. This last season, of course, they've had higher. They've been in a higher league. So I thought, let's make it a level playing ground. Last time they were in the same league, Leeds had a higher attendance. I know that Sunderland got relegated, but if you're crunching the numbers, why have Sunderland won the attendance record? So the highest uh, League One attendance, when Leeds are in League One, Sunderland have topped that. Now, if we've seen the documentary, the Sunderland documentary, we know that's a bit contentious to suggest that. But on paper, the highest League One attendance is uh, held now by Sunderland I think they think it was 40-odd thousand they posted, whether it's true or not. Yeah, I think know, it but, was, yeah. But, but that's what they posted. So that shows Sunderland fans were still supporting the club in League One. I know Leeds fans would have been as well, but Sunderland have got the top on that. Mm-hmm. I, I know we're going to go into this quite a lot. The average attendance the last season was definitely Leeds. They had higher than Sunderland. Mm-hmm. And considerably more than Sheffield Wednesday and Notts Forest. I've got to now throw out the stat that Sunderland have won six first division titles compared to Leeds' three first division titles. None of them post-World War II and five of them before Leeds even existed. In the record books, though, still says they have won six to three. Their last league title, Sunderland's, was in 1936. Leeds' was in 1992, which was the year before football, you know, was invented with the Premier League. So... Since Leeds existed, Leeds have won three, Sunderland have won one. Sunderland, Sunderland were just racking them up before there was any real competition. Uh, and that is true. That is true. I, I, yep. can't, I can't deny that. But on paper, Sunderland have six. So Leeds, so Leeds, Leeds is three. essentially, have got a more impressive record than Sunderland for league titles because Sunderland have won one since football was even out of black and white. I think it depends on like what you judge a club by their size on. You're looking for league titles, or sorry, trophies, attendance, and European pedigree. Yeah. Um, I would argue, uh, we, we need to talk about the other clubs, of course. I mean, Sheffield Wednesday have got four league titles and Forest have got one. They don't come close to Leeds and Sunderland from an attendance perspective. I looked at this in terms of the last time all four clubs were in the same division. Leeds had by far the most. In fact, they were second in the league only to Villa. Then Sunderland was second out of the four. Forest third, Wednesday fourth. They're about the same. Then if you look at the last three seasons average, Forest and Chef Wednesday are about the same, like 25, 26,000. Sunderland are about 30 and Leeds are about 34. So I think that Leeds and Sunderland stand out above the others from an attendance record. Then the second point of Wigget's league titles, Sunderland have the most. It goes, Leeds have got three, Sunderland six, Forest one, Wednesday four. But Sunderland just haven't done it in any semblance of a way in, in recent modern football times. They've not won it since 1936. They have won an FA Cup more recently than Leeds. They have, Would and they you... beat Leeds in the final. In all honesty... When the poll went out there, I thought I was going to vote for Nottingham Forest. We, we can't not talk about the fact Nottingham Forest have won two European Cups and the European Super Cup. We, we can't not talk about that. That is, that is unbelievable. That is more yeah. than City could do, really, in the next 10 years or so. And with their class as European powerhouse now, it's amazing what Forest mm-hmm. have done. But they haven't been in the Premier League for 21 years now, or the top fight for 21 years, which I am factoring into this as well. 
leads at the top flight for 17 years. If you're not eating well, he, at that table, you're not eating really. We know that. You are eating on scraps and having to survive from scraps. Fair play to them for consistently going for leads, for consistently mm-hmm. getting near the playoffs, getting in the playoffs, not making it. But they are always there or thereabouts. As I say, it's the first division titles. I know none of us were alive. We were barely alive last time Leeds won anything. Two of them don't belong on that list. Who I'd put in their place straight off the top of my head, I'd only know one. But Sunderland and Sheffield Wednesday don't belong on that list, in my opinion. I'm going to base it not on stats. I don't know how. I I know Nottingham Forest win uh, the European Cup. I know that Sunderland have been in the Premier League more recently than all the other teams and have had like some successful years but I have to go with the the, the main vote it's Leeds is the biggest club I'm going to base it on my lifetime now I know that Leeds for a long time haven't been in in the top flight but what they did whilst they were at the top for me was more memorable than what Sunderland have ever done in my lifetime I you know I remember kind of like the Narquin Kevin Phillips era but they were kind of sometimes a championship club as well I feel like what Leeds did in that period, you know, when we first really started getting into football, the kind of players that they had, I just so like, you know, if you think about the players they had in their lineup, you know, you're talking Rio Ferdinand, Harry Kuehl, Olivier Dacor, Mark Viduka, you know, I, I could probably name a starting 11 for Leeds. I probably mm. still couldn't name a starting 11 for any of the other players. I probably could. That's of course. a really interesting but the, but the best, the best starting 11 that you could name for each club, who do you think has the best starting eleven? For me, it would be Leeds. I don't think you could put mm-hmm. a better starting eleven. I know there's the the Forest team of the eighties, but you probably couldn't name them. We can't read. It's Leeds based on that criteria. You've, you've kind of brought me on to the the third point there. We we said league titles, attendance, and European pedigree. Because you're talking about a time where Leeds actually got into the Champions League and started to build the European pedigree. I'm going to say something quite controversial here, and I'll say it through gritted teeth. But Leeds' European pedigree is arguably only just behind Forests. They have got to a final. Leeds, they've got to a European Cup final. They've got Leeds to a final. And if you ask any Leeds fan, they should have won it. And I have seen footage of it. There were some contentious decisions and the referee was subsequently banned or fined or something. So they arguably should have won a European Cup final. But you know, before the Premier League was invented and it was just the top division, before the European Cup existed, there was a thing called the Intercities Fairs Cup, which became the European Cup. Leeds won that twice. I have, yeah, so they've I have got, got that down. But they've got the European two European Cup. titles and the European Cup final loss and recent Champions League experience. So, does that mean Aston Villa have won the, the European competition twice because we won the Intertoto Cup? No, That's the because the Intercities Fairs... The, no, no, it's not. The Intercities Fairs Cup became the European Cup in the same way that Division 1 became the Premier League. It's totally different. Valid point. Okay, well... It's not a European Cup. I feel like the only team we haven't really spoke about much there mm. is, is Sheffield Wednesday. So have you got some... Stats to argue their case against me <laughs> as to why they should be in the top four. The most FA Cup wins of any of them, three FA Cup wins, a League mm. Cup win, a uh, Community Shield, uh, an attendance of almost 40,000, um, which is second on the list. A capacity, sorry. Of capacity, capacity, yeah. Um, it is second, yeah. But I think Sheffield Wednesday at the bottom of that list for me personally. I, 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 do think, I do think that. There's no denying that, unfortunately. There a point I also wanted to make is I do think these four clubs have got bigger right to the top flight than six of the clubs currently in the Premier League. Just to turn lots yeah. of fans against the pod. Definitely. Yeah. I think those four yeah. teams, then Bournemouth, Burnley. Yeah, Bournemouth's the first one that comes to my mind. Norwich, arguably Palace, arguably Brighton. So it's just some... You're being kind saying arguably. 
I mean, it has to be, doesn't it? it has, they have to be. They absolutely have to be. Average attendances last season, Bournemouth, 10,498 in the Premier League. Mm. Burnley, 20,000. Watford, 20,000. Palace, 25,000. It's outrageous, really. It's outrageous that these teams have been out of the league so long, yet they are considered big clubs. And I, I do want to state they are four big clubs. They are four yeah, big I mean, clubs. I think when, when you talk, I know we don't, I don't want to go too much off topic, but Bournemouth, I, I honestly don't, see the point of them as a club and I know that sounds really and they're going to piss off Bournemouth fans but like the point what of have you done no but no but what have you done since you got promoted what have you done Very you good. haven't gone for any competition you I don't I think they may have got to a quarter final of something at most like they've not gone for it I just don't get it but and anyway I don't want to... from that top table like I said earlier Mark exactly. all you've got to be doing is yeah. eating from the top table and you are part of the part of the conversation Leeds yeah. Forest Wednesday aren't part of that conversation because no. they've been out of it for almost 20 years most of them but you, you asked about Wednesday and I don't think we've really <laughs> I don't we've really answered <laughs> sorry I, I don't think that I can support Wednesday being in the top four based on what I've looked at they've not won a league title since 1930 Yes, they have won a decent amount of trophies, the last being in 1991, and they have occasionally played in the UEFA Cup qualifier, but they haven't really done much to justify being talked about in the same breath as Leeds, Sunderland and Forest. And actually, I looked through the poll, I scrolled through it. The only people that voted for Wednesday were Wednesday fans. Oh, I think that says it all. I'm sorry, Wednesday fans. I think that says it all. No, no, I think um, they are rightly at the bottom of that four. And I think they, they yeah. really will have to accept that. I don't think there's much argument against that. With the stats no. that we've thrown out there, there's no denying it, really. In support of Wednesday, though, the likes of Leeds and Sunderland, not, not Forest, Leeds and Sunderland are one club cities, and that is hugely um, beneficial to them. That yeah, is why that is they true. can claim attendance records as being why they're such a big club. Alan Newcastle, because they're in a big city and they're the only club, so of course they're going to have high attendances. So that's that's probably where Sheffield Wednesday are hard done by a little bit because they share a city. There's two great football clubs there. I think we've done everything we can to mm. discuss that. You're probably going to stick with your original answer, I guess, Wicket? Uh, it's hard. There, there is a claim for, I think, three of these teams. I've got to be fair to Leeds. Leeds, they are a huge club. I've only I voted for Sunderland going on facts, really. And Greaves has made great points that most of their wins were before Leeds were even a team. They're their, their uh, first division uh, titles, which I totally understand. There's a claim for all of these teams to be to be uh, the biggest team, but I do think because Sunderland have been, as I keep stating, eating from the top table, Leeds haven't been for 17 years. They've got to be classed as as, as a bigger team. What about you, Greaves? Well, I still think it's Leeds, obviously. Our first champions being alive. (laughs) Now it's time for the not-so-breaking news. This week, it's it's my turn to bring a topic to the table. This week's topic comes from the racist abuse that Ian Wright was subjected to via Instagram. He publicly came out and shared the direct messages he received um, from a young inker boy from Ireland sent them to him um, they are pretty shocking and we definitely thought it was something that we need to speak about this week full like disclosure we are three white men chatting about this so we have no idea what it's like to receive any kind of prejudice or racism but we think it's important that we do talk about it as well so Ian Wright shared the screenshots on his of his Instagram on his Twitter um, and I had a look through the messages that he received and it was just utterly disgusting. Um, and I just cannot believe that in today's day and age, we're still 
talking having to talk about this what was what was your initial reaction Greaves so I've I did say at the time before we agreed to talk about on the podcast um I was just shocked at how deep they went it wasn't like it's not just name calling it was it was kind of like I wish you were dead yeah. And I think one of the messages was, if I had coronavirus, I'd cough in your face. So, and obviously name calling is off as well, but this went beyond just name calling. It's, it's kind of like a second layer of just unnecessary vile insults. And clearly it's shocking. I, th- I think we've seen re- since then that the uh, Irish teenager has handed himself into the police. I mean, would he have done that? Would he have, no, would he have done no. that if it wasn't shared on Twitter? I'm not, I'm not, going to applaud him for handing himself into the police um it's a societal problem as people keep telling us but let's face it it's hard to admit this as a football fan but it is more prevalent in football than other sports yeah definitely so it's basically my overriding emotion is number one it's horrible to see it but number two i'm quite glad that ian wright's done what he's done more more people should do that i I, I totally agree with greaves it's just it's horrible to read um God knows what it feels to receive that sort of abuse. Um, I've never had to experience it, fortunately. But just to read it, it's horrible. So I am going to read some some bits out that are, that are not the racist, not even racist bits. So he said, I hate you. I hate your mum. I hate your dad. I hate your brothers and sisters. I hate all your family. Like, this person's got a serious, serious problem. Why they're doing this and having to feel the need to tweet someone uh, these disgusting comments. And this kid's never thought, Ian Wright was going to do anything with these comments. He thought he was going to see them, put them to the back of his mind. But credit Ian Wright for doing that. For him doing that, more people will start doing similar similar things. I know Gabriel Bonderhaar has done something similar this week on Instagram. Um, he had racist yeah. abuse as well. The, the worry is with this, by Ian Wright doing this and posting it, does this also add fuel for more people to start abusing more people because they know people are doing it? Hopefully this kid doesn't get away with it and I'm hoping it's not just a slap on the wrist. I hope we hear that something serious happens to this guy for doing it because there needs to be a deterrent, a deterrent for doing it because it's not right. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a difficult one. When we've heard about racist abuse given to footballers on the pitch, we have seen very light sanctions. I mean, banned for life, yeah. okay. But that, for me, doesn't doesn't nearly go far enough. And I think my concern is that First of all, I, I know you guys have both said that you, you, you're glad that Ian Wright has come out and done this. And, and I suppose without him doing that, this wouldn't become a story because it would just be another message mm. in his direct messages. And he would have to shoulder that on his own. So I suppose him coming out and, and, and receiving support from other people has been a good thing. It's just, I know I, I'm, I'm probably going to think, you know, people are going to say we don't live in an ideal world, but you shouldn't have to come out and do that. No. I know no. I know these messages are there, so he had, he had to make a decision. The scariest thing I think about the, the Ian Wright incident in isolation is it evidences, and he said it himself, that person has a direct line to him. It's person A, being the young Irish teenager, directly communicating to person B, being Ian Wright. Without social yeah. media, that's not in any way possible. So it's just scary to think that I could pick up my phone right now and type whatever I wanted to anyone in the world, pretty much. And I think that, yeah. that that's the biggest development it's that social media has given. Problem. It's a modern day problem that wasn't around 10 years ago and something that we have to, we have to give the good with the bad in, in the sense that 
I really hope this kid doesn't get away with it by saying it wasn't me. It was someone else on my phone. I don't see how there is... Because he's handed himself in, I don't think that will happen because he's owning mm-hmm. up to his mistakes. But say, for instance, this was done on someone else's account and it was found out it was them. There is no evidence it was them, that it could have been a hacker or something like that. I just really hope that this kid does get more than a slap on the wrist, as I said, because there needs to be punishment for it to stop other people doing it. Do we think that because, like what you've said about social media being, you know, over the last 10 years, it's a different world in the fact that people can easily get in touch with people. Do you think the fact that things like this are being shared in public and have been uh, condemned by a lot of people, do you think that will help educate more people? So before, players would receive racist abuse just on the pitch or maybe... Uh, privately in in their own life but there would be no way for everyone else to visibly see that so for us like I've started this conversation saying we'll never understand we can only try our best to just talk about it is it helping them educate them that that it's it's a real problem and it's there is social media putting it out there for people to see and hopefully going to solve Mm. the problem even though it's part of the problem right now yeah I can see what you mean that you know that you take Obviously, some bad incidents are going to happen, but overall, it could become a positive thing. I, I think I agree with that. In the short term, it's going to give people more license and the ability to conduct such behavior. But overall, it should have a far-reaching impact in education. But that doesn't help Ian Wright feel any better about it. Maybe it will do in years to come when that's the result. But I think that it has to educate because if well, if someone let's say someone was thinking about sending a message like that they're now not going to send it and and it shouldn't be the case that they now don't send it just because someone's been arrested but they might stop and think about why that person's been arrested and why it's wrong i don't know I, we can't think like they think no. well that's um, that's a point i wanted to get onto so when the england uh, game against bulgaria happened last year um it's one of the most uncomfortable things i've ever watched and for me like personal opinion and I know that a lot of the players that were abused came out and said they didn't want to walk off I wanted them to walk off the whole time um, yeah because yeah. I was just like you, you do not deserve that I know that you know Tyron Mings was making his, his England debut that day and it's supposed to be a, a proud moment you shouldn't have to deal with that in any situation I think football fans were brought up on just seeing white players in, in the top leagues that, that was the case that's what their parents saw and it's just awful that that mentality has obviously passed down generations now has it got worse in the last two three years i'm hearing about it so much more and you're hearing that you know teams are walking off the pitch or you know there's been a lot of incidents in italy where i never i never really heard about it growing up watching the italian leagues it was never mentioned is it because people have got a stronger voice now and it's and and yeah uh, it's widespread or is it actually getting worse is it you know is there more of a divide in the world now you know we talk about brexit and you know donald trump and people like that is there more of a divide in the world it's hard to be, answer that accurately i think regrettably the point is that it probably used to be swept under the carpet a bit more and it's now the, sh- the spotlight's being shone on it and it might come back to your social media point Absolutely. about do we need to go through this period now where it's being shone on so much more to eventually get to a greater position so at the minute, I think that there's more of an attention on it, and rightly so. So we're reading about it more, seeing about it more. That doesn't mean it didn't happen previously. I just think that we didn't see all this stuff in, you mentioned Bulgaria and places like that, 
it definitely happened and it definitely still happens. It's just that now, for good reason, we're hearing about it and there's sanctions. But you talked about education. If there's a crowd like Bulgaria, a football-based punishment can only go so far. The country should be punished mm. or the country should have some form of you know, requirement to put it right. So I think that, no, it hasn't got worse. I don't think, I think that it's now in the public eye more and rightly so. To, to elaborate on that a tiny bit, I'd love to say it isn't in the public eye more, but nothing's changed. They haven't made it better for anyone. We've, that yeah. Bulgaria game just made it worse, if anything, by no actions taken. We could clearly hear that racist chant in that game. It was, it yeah. was clear to hear over the mic, and nothing's happened because of that. Maybe, maybe the team got a fine I don't know of, but nothing has really happened and changed because of it, and that's the most sad thing, that we aren't seeing sanctions up to the country, as Grease was saying there, rather than just a footballing uh, slap on the wrist. Yeah. I think the, the problem is, though, Quickly on the the Bulgaria situation, um, putting a san- sanction on a country. Originally, I thought that as well, but that's that's not the way forward. It's going to cause more problems than than solve. What I would say is that when you're talking about football punishments, there wasn't enough. They shouldn't have no. been allowed to kick a ball again. They they, they weren't even banned from no. the Euros. They weren't banned. No. I know they weren't going to qualify. But the other point I wanted to make, we're talking about things changing. For me, a massive moment, like a seminal moment, was what Raheem Sterling did. So he got racially abused, I think, against Chelsea. And instead of using that moment to just speak about the racist abuse he received, he then used his attention that he had in that moment to highlight media articles. So a media article based on, I think it was Phil Foden. And the other one was on, I'm trying to think of the player. It was another youth team player for Man City. I can't remember his name. I think he's a defender. Anyway, there was, there was an, two youth team players and one was depicting Phil Foden and as a really nice guy who bought his mama house. What a guy. And the other one was flashy teenager, shows off by, you know, it, it, you know it was just too two ways of him highlighting how the media portray different things and it's it was showing the media to be racist and it's yeah. so true and it was one of the moments where i find it very hard to understand it because i've you know like i've said i'm i'm a white man i've got all the social privilege in the world born with it but to see that and to think oh my god like that's mental and then what happened subsequently so uh, you know i was listening to other podcasts they got people on to talk about the phrases that people use and it's mad how it made me realise, God, that's, that's racist. So when, when people talk about, I think one guy was saying that um, Lukaku always gets described as a beast. Mm. Whereas you name another big striker, I don't know, Andy Carroll. He's never called he a, beast. a beast. No. He's not, you know, there's words like that. It's like subtle racism that I just, I, I, you know, it opened my mind to it. And I just couldn't believe that these things happened. It was an incredible moment. I had so much respect for Raheem Sterling. I already do, but for... for him choosing to do that and I think I suppose Ian Wright doing what he did this week but I, I remember actually seeing something recently on Tyron Mings's um, Instagram he also shared quickly a DM that he had got where uh, someone was using the n-word to him repeatedly until he got his attention and he just shared it and went well done mate you finally got your attention and shared his yeah. story yeah that's what um, you have to do well, just... he's, he's quite active with it as well because he's been he's spoken out against um, Dave Kitson because I think he's trying to be there PFA chairman isn't he Dave Kitson yeah. and he did that he did that interview with TalkSport where he was derogatory about Raheem Sterling he basically said oh but you know 
I'd like to ask Raheem Sterling, why does he think it's always him? Is it him about, you know, is it because he flashes about how much money he earns and stuff? So he's got yeah. a reputation and, and yeah. Tyra Mings has, has been outward about him recently. What's the solution though? It, ignoring, well, we're not here. We're not, we, we, this is above our pay grade, but ignoring educational, societal stuff, thinking just football on the pitch, fans in the stand. We've talked about stopping play. What are the other options? Well, I'm looking back to Mark's uh, Raheem Sterling um, example. How we, how we didn't react to those. I've got a clear image in my mind. There was two blokes giving him all sorts of abuse in the front row. Yeah. So do, do yeah. you think fans in the stadium, they, they, should be, they should be saying something to these people? Because clearly mm. fans are hearing it and letting it happen. What do you do in that situation? Do you go to a steward? Do you You're confront mentor, aren't you? them? What do the, do the you are you are like... you are meant to, but you know what though? As a football fan, Wiggit, you aren't told enough what you're meant to do. No, you don't know. Even though, mean. even though in you, in yourself, you know what you would do. You would go to a steward. But I actually think that the um, it, it, you know, there should be a campaign to tell people what to do when they hear racist abuse. Hmm. You know, as a fan, reporting it. How do you report it? You know, who do we go to? What do you say? You know, these things need to be made more clear. But what I, I also what I wanted to go back to, I, I said that I wanted the players to walk off the pitch. I think I, uh, I, dis- I disagree actually now with that statement. I want the governing bodies to take to the get players, the off, players the off the pitch. It should yeah. not be the players' decision to leave no. the pitch. They no, are prof- they, the reason they why they be, want to play. They can be punished then. Yeah. But also, they want to play. They, you know, Tyrone Mings was talking about it. Like, you know, he wanted his, to play. His his well. England debut. He's there to play football. He doesn't want that taken away from him. I think taking it out of the players' hands is what needs to be done. So, if we're talking yeah. about like measures that can be taken, this should be happening at all levels, Premier League especially, internationals obviously. You know, this whole three-step protocol bullshit. Mm. I, I, I honestly, it does my it does my head in. It's like, well, I, I think the protocol is. Um, There'll be a, an announcement over the tannoy. Then the game will be the player. Mm. The, the game will be stopped. The, and the then fans the players, will be warned. Yeah, it's... fans will be warned. And then the game gets cancelled. If you if it's got to go over a tunnel, it's going to egg them on. Somebody's being the racist. Yeah. because that's adding fuel. The way the these people think, it's, it's just going to. It's egg not them even on. that though. But like, if it's coming over the tannoy, surely the game should be stopped. It's time for everyone's favourite game: the six. Desires of separation. Separation. The rules are simple. We've based it on the six degrees of separation, trying to get from one person to another person in six or fewer moves. So we're doing this with footballers. We're not allowing players that have played together internationally. So it's only clubs. So it has to, a player has to have played with the same player for their club. The boys have got a time limit of 8 minutes and 59 seconds and they are doing it together. Now, if you want to join, play along. We invite you to pause the podcast, give yourself 8 minutes and 59 seconds and then rejoin and see if you can beat the boys' score. So, this week's player for the six Desailles of separation... Ooh, this always gets me nervous at this stage. This is my favourite part of the week. Is, yeah, it is. really is. Meet you. Ooh, Swansea. <laughs> and your time okay. starts now. Right, let's face it, he's had lots of other clubs, but I don't want to embarrass ourselves here it's got to uh, be by trying to name them. It's probably like Saucier Dad or something, <laughs> but let's go for Swansea. Meet you, Swansea. Okay. Spanish. Could... Swansea. Was Joe Allen? Joe Allen would have been there. If you... Let's just throw out some names. Joe Allen would have been there. I think Sigurdsson. 
possibly could have been there. Yes. He and he gets, gets us um, to top. He's got Spurs and he's got Scott Parker. <laughs> I'll always got... try and get us to Spark. Sigurdsson's got Spurs and Everton. Well, that's Joe Allen, Sigurdsson, Scott Sinclair. He, he would have been there, I'd say. Yeah. Because I'm looking back to the League Cup win when they beat Bradford in the yeah, final. Wayne Routledge. So I'm going for that team. Routledge would have been there. Yeah. Probably Nathan Dyer. Nathan Dyer. Yeah. Okay. We've got enough there. So have any of those played with Scott? Parker. <laughs> <laughs> or our favourite, <laughs> Let's be honest, we'll probably end up at Adebayor. What, what do you want to go for, Grebo? Because I think I put us on a bad track last week with Norhi Sahin, so I'm going to let you lead this well, one. Well, it, it, <laughs> Scott, yeah. Scott Sinclair would be a really good one, but we've got to be confident that Mitri played with Scott Sinclair because Scott Sinclair played in that Man City era where they definitely had like Milner, Barry, Nasri. But then Joe Allen will have definitely played with Michu and he's played with he's played at Liverpool. Liverpool. But has he definitely played? Oh, God, Joe, Joe, Allen, Joe Allen's a definite with Michu. Okay, so let's go with a definite yeah. rather than Scott Sinclair because Joe Allen's got Liverpool and Stoke. Oh my God. Do we go Crouchy? Crouchy. So Joe Allen, Peter Crouch. Right, then I'm... Let's get back. We've got to get from Crouchy now to Desai. Crouch. Glenn Johnson. Desai. Ben Johnson. See you later. Oh, this guy. So you're locking in. <laughs> I will allow you to lock that in, yeah. Yeah, we're lock, locking it in. <laughs> so, so Do you want us to read it to you? We'd go for it. So uh, so going uh, backwards from Michu, we think Michu mm-hmm. played with Joe Allen at Swansea. We mm-hmm. think Joe Allen played with Peter Crouch at Stoke. We yep. think Peter Crouch played with Glenn Johnson at Liverpool. Yep. And we think Glenn Johnson played with Desai at Chelsea. Wrong. Joe Allen didn't play with Michu. Oh, okay. Scott Sinclair. Joe Allen That's a shocker. Okay. Um, you got to think he Scott's... went to Liverpool, didn't he? Oh, wow. Okay, let's just do this then. We get Scott Sinclair, Gareth Barry, Peter Crouch, Glenn Johnson, Desai. Yeah, so Scott we, Sinclair would have played with Barry yeah. at Man City. So we'll lock that in. Happy, I'm happy to do that. Okay, think about other avenues whilst I confirm this. So um, um, we could also then have Routledge to Barrett. Yeah, uh, well, so Routledge I'll read to Mark the avenues. You keep thinking. Yeah. We we get, the current guess is Michu Scott Sinclair at Swansea. Yeah, Scott Sinclair Gareth Barry at Man City. Gareth yeah. Barry Peter Crouch at Villa, mm-hmm. and then Peter Crouch Glenn Johnson and Glenn Johnson Desai. I'm going to help you out as you go along, just so you know. Just be- the reason why I want to do this is because I want you to know that Scott Sinclair and Michu played together once. That's once what we need. That's what we need. That's we knew it was one. I think we get. We <laughs> actually. Go. I'm looking at my phone now. We get text me going, "You rogue bastard!" It was only once. So again, that one time, Michu and Scott Sinclair made the best front two. So with from Scott Sinclair, you're going to where? Oh, bloody hell, I've just told you, Mark. Come on. Are we going to Gareth, Barry? Gareth Barry at Gareth Man City. Barry. I'm thinking kits there we get, and I'm seeing them in a. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I think they've played together. And Barry and Crouchy, definitely, because Barry was at the Villa for years. Oh, these are so weak. Uh, weak is more weak. impressive, weak, may but, I say. Uh, Gareth Barry. Gareth Barry and Scott Sinclair and go on. They played together 13 times. That's, that's loads. My God, that's a whole that's FA a third of a season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you go Gareth Barry to 
Crouch at Villa. At the Villa. Gareth Barry and Peter Crouch played together 41 times for Aston Villa. That's loads. Deadly. I'm not sure there's probably any greater number of players who have partnered each other more than 41. That'd be gobsmacked. Okay, so, and then we're going, we're going, Peter Crouch with Glenn Johnson. Yes, please. <laughs> please. Well, they played together 36 times at Stoke. Why are you going Glenn Johnson? Desai. To Desai. Back to the big man. I just wanted you to, I just wanted you to react. I'm to nervous about this bit though. No. Why? The you know he's played together? Man. I know they've been at the club at the same time. They've got to have played together, otherwise we need to get some serious pen to paper. Glenn Johnson. Played 13 times with Marcel Bessé. Yes. Very good. Very, very good. Very good. What on Grievo. So, so we, went, we went Desai, Glenn Johnson, Peter Crouch, Gareth Barry, Scott Sinclair. Meet you. Meet you. Good job there. Good game together. Nice this to meet you. This game is... is <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I love this game. It's now time for our second game of Higher or Lower, and we like to call this game Sam versus Sam. <laughs> Sam is leading Sam 1 0. Boo. So, yeah, Greaves is. I've got a point to get back here. So, simply, I'm going to say the two players, their appearances, then I'm just going to say higher or lower. You guys go. Okay, we get, you're up first. So, Nigel Winterburn <laughs> and Giles Greenmondy. Played together 58 times. Greenman D and Mark Overmars, higher or lower? Greenman D is such a rogue shape because he's such a strange player to pick in this game. I think he was Wenger's super sub. I think Greenman D played more times with Mark Overmars. So you're going higher? Let's go higher. Greaves? For a bonus point, how many times has Greenman D played with Scott Parker? <laughs> I, I don't know why. My initial instinct was higher, but I'm just going to go lower because... I want to make a game of it. So, Winterburn and Grimondi played 58 times together. Grimondi and Mark Overmars played 62 times together. So, that's higher. Wicket takes the lead. Okay. So, they played 62 times together. (laughs) Overmars and Xavi. How many times have they played together? Higher or lower than 62? Overmars and Xavi. Like Griever, this one's on to you then. Jesus, lower. For the sake of the game, higher. Overmars and Xavi played together 103 times. <laughs> 2 0, he's raced into the league. Gets in by proxy, 2 0. They played together 103 times. You've Xavi. got 2 0 by proxy now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, they played together 103 times. Xavi and Bojan, higher or lower than 103 times. Wicket. Let's go with lower, please, Mark. Greaves. I can't have this gap wide and I'll go lower and, and catch up in later rounds. Smart move. Xavi, Xavi and Bojan played together 123 times. Wow. It was higher. He had a chance to get a point. So what you get for being secure, playing safe, Greaves. So they played together 123 times. Bojan and Jack Butland, higher or lower than 123 times. It's me, isn't it? It is you, yes. Greaves. Lower. Lower. I'm so sorry to do this, but I also think lower. Bojan and Jack Butland played 47 times together. Yeah, it had to be. 3-1 to Wicket? Okay. So they played together 47 times. Butland and Arnautovic, higher or lower than 47 times. It's Wigget. It's on you. It absolutely has to be higher. because oh, I agree, which is so annoying. I'm running out of guesses here. Higher also. Both gone for higher. Butland and Arnautovic played together 46 times together. No way! <laughs> oh, he had a chance to get a point! 
I've massively bollocked <laughs> this not, game up. He's not going to sleep tonight. I cannot believe that. This is I the worst thing that's that. ever happened to me. So they played together 46 times. Arnautovic and David Alaba, how many times have they played together? Is it Greaves? Yeah, I'm struggling with the connection, but I'm going to go higher. <laughs> Which makes uh, no sense. Um, for fun, let's go lower. Arnautovic and David Alaba have played together 62 times oh. together. So it's now. And Wiggins goes first in this it, one. It's 3 2. 3 2. Now. Do I just have to go the opposite? So they played together 62 times. Alaba. Is this the last one, Mark? No, there's two more. Alaba and Claudio Pizarro. Good right. luck. Higher, higher or lower than 62. But I think Pizarro was a different generation than Alaba. So I'd like to go lower, please, Mark. Irrespective of what I think, higher, please, Mark. Alaba and Pizarro have played together 47 times lower. It's over. Yes. It's over. 4-2. Right, it is 4-2, but I feel like we should end on this one. Uh, just for our one of the players here, I feel looks like one of these players. Ooh. Claudio Pizarro and Michael Ballack. Higher. <laughs> um, that would be higher, yeah. It is higher with 137. So Wiggit takes the yes. second game. 5 3. Sam well done, Wig. Versus Sam. Okay, good game. We're level 1 1. 1 apiece. 1 1. Well done. Well done. Now it's time for What the Football. The part of the show where one of us brings a subject or an opinion, controversial, to the table. Um, and it will probably make us say, What the football? Uh, this week it is Greaves' turn. What have you got? So I believe that this opinion will be mainly unpopular in the country of England because my what the football is that Wales's Euro 2016 run was a much greater achievement than England's World Cup 2018 run. Oh, God. That is very interesting. God, it's, it's interesting because as you started it, I was wondering what you were going to compare yeah, what it to. Gonna... Oh, I can almost I think understand it. We've got to be honest <laughs> Straight here, off the bat. We've got to be honest here, Mark. England had a very straightforward run to the semi-final. Our first oh, real challenge, we got knocked out yeah. against Croatia. Sweden, yeah. penalties. I honestly do not remember the Sweden game. We beat them 2-0. It was so easy and so yeah. comfortable. It's really difficult because I've got to try and argue this point. I think, oh, I can't argue it because it's true. <laughs> Do you know what? I've got to be honest. Maybe it is true. true. Maybe I it's true, I, but I'm I just getting us all to admit it. I would never have thought about it. I would never would have thought to compare those two things. Can I, I give you the facts that I think support can the, I, the argument? Go on, Wig. The game that stands out to me in Wales' run was the win over Belgium mm-hmm. in potentially the yeah. quarterfinals. How yeah, it was Canu the quarterfinals. Scored a one. They goal. came from behind to win three-one. And and we lost to Belgium in a third, fourth place playoff at the World. We lost to Belgium twice. And, and in the, yeah, of course we did. <laughs> the, I became an honorary Welsh fan uh, as they were going deeper into the tournament. I thought that tournament was brilliant. I think for them, like both semi-finals, but I think that the the achievement is this isn't like patronising. I think it is greater because of the way they got there, not because of yeah. the players they have. It's, it's not patronising, Mark. They've yeah. not reached the Euros once until that Euros. My points that I'd noted down were that they topped a group containing England. They beat the widely tipped favourites, Belgium, f- coming from behind to win. They lost to the eventual winners, 
and this was all at their first ever European European Championships. I think Wales would have had a much much class as a weaker side than England Mm -hmm. across the pitch in the eleven positions. They had Gareth Bale, who we beat, we beat them. Well, yeah, yeah, we did beat them. Bardi and Sturridge. Really, I've just brought this up because I wanted to talk about that because. In recent memories, we've talked a lot about England and previous podcasts. That victory is one of the best. Like that win in the Sturridge. last minute with Sturridge, and he does that shitty dance. But oh, I, lo- I love that. <laughs> felt Did so good. Score a free kick in that game. Oh yeah. my god! Shouldn't have scored it, Joe Hart. It, yeah. Yeah. What was Joe Hart doing? And on top of that, all the warning about right, what do we need to do? Contain Gareth Bale, and then you let him just boot it in. Like yeah. What are you doing, Joe? But yeah, it was Vardy and Sturridge. Gareth Bale, the ultimate shit house. Yeah, but he was he was on fire. Apps and do you know what? I actually liked. I liked how in the in the warm up to the game, like how much he was like not hating on England, but he, you know, he, he was like giving it some, wasn't he? And yeah. I I liked it. Like you got back, you got back yourself. If it wasn't for him, I don't think they would have got as far as they did. But yeah, I thought I thought. That, that was an incredible achievement. I think England's run in the in the World Cup, whilst it was a, a World Cup semi-final that we got to, and it sounds really weird, it never really felt that we got to a World Cup it semi-final. Really because of the way we got there, when we associate tournaments, we've come across Portugal, Argentina, mm-hmm. we played Brazil, um, we've been knocked out to Italy, you know, we, you know, we, we faced in Colombia, Sweden, and okay, Croatia, they are a good team, but and we got knocked out by them. The first half decent team came against, like we get said. It's it's you know I remember it as a great summer and we did really well. But mm. I, it, it's kind of tainted a little bit because of the way the way we actually didn't play like amazing football. I mean, I think our World Cup is actually a little bit summed up in the hat trick that Harry Kane scored in that World Cup. <laughs> Panama, yeah. You know, so it, was it was it two penalties and a rebound off his heel? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, I one pen, one rebound, and one. Actual goal, I think. Actual goal. His hat-trick goal, I think, comes off a Loftus-cheek shot. Anyway, that's fine. We could turn this topic into let's talk about England. Yeah, let's not. Uh, (laughs) In in summary, it's fair to say that whilst the opinion might be slightly unpopular in England, it's probably correct. I would say it's correct, yeah. There's there's no denying that, that that was a much bigger achievement for Wales doing it with the squad they had. Then England do a favourable draw. You haven't made us say what the football, but I'm sure you've made some listeners say what the football. But I think they'll be convinced. I think I don't think you can argue with the fact. I think that is a greater achievement. It's time for the questions. We appreciate everyone that gets in touch. The best way to get in touch with us is through Instagram and Twitter. We are at still nil nil pod. We will be putting question boxes out there on Instagram on our stories. So check them out. And yes, yeah, send us your questions because it means a lot to us. Right. The first question comes from my wife. <laughs> comes to, comes from Nick, the uh, the chief editor of the show. Thank you, Nick. Um, if you were a Premier League footballer, what would be your pre-game song you play in your headphones to get your, your head in the game? Oh, oh fantastic question. Um, the first song that came into my head was All of the Lights by Kanye West. Because that's, that's always got it's always got me pumped. And I was thinking, like, I'd love to be... I don't know if it's more American football... But like running out, football's always more impactful under the floodlights, isn't it? We've always said this. The games we tend to remember from childhood were under the floodlights, floodlights as well. Yeah. So I can imagine running out, all of the lights is on my tannoy, and I'd be so pumped with that. Boom, 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 
That's the first one that came to my mind. Like it, I like it. Greaves, what what have you got? Okay, so when I've really made it and I'm playing for England, it's obviously three lions. <laughs> and at club level, I'm playing Sweet Caroline. Next question, please. Oh yes. <laughs> right, my question to you though, Greaves, is you know when you're either playing either of them songs, how Could are you going to go out and play? But how are you going to go out and play football when you're absolutely smashed? Because you can't listen to that song. <laughs> You've got to drink with yeah, you, so both of them. Are you go? Yeah. Are you going out to play football with a tie around your forehead? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think mine power for me is mm, that would be, be my good. my song of choice. I, I'd, I'd, I'd be torn to be honest with you, but I think power is a great song. Kanye has a great on. modern day show, isn't it? For anthems that are going to get you pumped up. The next question comes from Ryan Clemson. The question is, what is your favourite team that isn't your own and why? Because okay, we get... my, mine's always been Warsaw. I think I did, um, there's a website you can go on to see your, your local team. Villa, Villa are obviously my team. But I think Warsaw were a percentage of a mile closer to me. Oh, you plastic fan. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> glory hunter. Okay, so why, why is Warsaw your second? Is it just location? Well, it's is it's, that the main it's location. Uh, if people listen to episode two, I've got um, a relationship with Warsaw from a child when I won that competition where I wore my boots on the wrong feet. Remember that? It's the, it's the result. You watch Gillette Soccer Saturday with Jeff Stelling, Jeff Stelling and Chris Kamara. And you know what? You know, you listen out for results and kind of, you're not listening to it. The one team I want to hear is Warsaw. That's the team I want to, I want to see if they've won or not. It doesn't affect my day if they've won or lost, but I want to hear how they've done. If Warsaw have won 3-0, I'm like, oh, wow, fair play, Warsaw. I think you're a bit like me. They're the team that you choose on like FIFA manager mode or football manager mode, like Many to go up time. through the leagues. Yes. We can't pick Birmingham, yeah, we can't pick West Brom. I feel like Warsaw and Villa fans, and Villa always have a pre-season friendly at Bescott every season. I think it, there's, there's a relationship between the two clubs, so I've kind of tagged on to them a little bit. Like it. Go on in, Greaves. Have you, uh, have you thought of your favourite team? Gro- I think growing up, a lot of Villa fans used to say Everton because like people compared us to them, but... For me, that made it worse. Like when they did well, it annoyed me because it's yeah. like, well, that could be us. Thankfully, they never did that well. I think my favourite team that's not my own is, is Hull because oh. I, as you guys know, but the listeners might not, they probably do. I'm in a relationship with, with someone from Hull. Steve Bruce. And her family is from Hull. And it's <laughs> Steve Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> He's from Newcastle. And I've been to the KC Stadium seven or eight times. So outside of Villa Park, it is my most visited stadium, apart from Wembley. Because hey. come on, the Villa. We're always there. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm Hull. picking Hull. Hull have got such an impressive stadium. Oh, it's, yeah, it's nice. nice. It's it really so, nice. Me and Mark so have nice. been there. Yeah, when I first got there, I was like, this is decent. This is really decent. It's a I mean, nice I stadium. It's really a shame, Hull, because you know, where it's located, it, it probably isn't like the main, football isn't like the, the big, big sport there. No, it's yeah. rugby league. Yeah. And it's, it's such a shame because the stadium is great and, you know, they've had some success. Okay, so mine, I'm not going on anything that you guys have gone on. I'm basing it on just, like, growing up on, on TV, watching this team and really, like, just loving the club, really. Um, and mine's Liverpool. It always has been my second favourite team. They've been my team that I wanted to... Or I always want the, the British teams to do well in Europe. But growing up, like, Liverpool, my, you know, my favourite Champions League final, everyone knows, you know, Istanbul. Yeah. It's, it's just incredible. I just, I love that game. I remember sitting watching that game and my dad had gone to the kitchen and he was like, I said, you never know. 
I just remember saying, you never know. And then, you know, they, I think they got three goals in six minutes. It's just, and then everything that happens at Anfield, Euro, European Knights, Olympiacos, and then Europa League, Borussia Dortmund, everyone knows about Barcelona last year. It's just, there's just something like magical about the club. I, I really believe that. And it really is. The, the song they sing at the start, like if I was there, I think I'd just get goof, goosebumps, you know, singing You'll Never Walk Alone. It's just such a great atmosphere. I know people hate hate on them. I get quite a lot of stick for saying I want Liverpool to win the league at work. You do, you get a lot of stick. A lot of people yeah. hate Liverpool. Um, I want them to win it as well. I really I, do. I, I've had this conversation with a lot of football fans. Like I, I want Liverpool to win the league and a lot of people like really don't. Okay, so the the last question again comes from the chief editor of the podcast, my wife. <laughs> People think it's favoritism, but actually, I think both of her questions have been have been really good. Um, and this one, I think, is is a really great question. So, do you think football matches are safe for families to go to, or do you think it's more of an adult environment? That's that's a great question. Um, growing up. Uh, I don't know about other clubs, but Villa have, have a family stand. I imagine most clubs do. So Villa at the bottom of the Trinity Road would have a family stand where it was encouraged to bring your family, which which created quite a nice atmosphere. There wasn't rowdy people standing up shouting. It was people who were there who wanted their kids to enjoy a football match. And that was great. That was where me and my dad used to sit there all the time. When I got a bit older, my dad decided... He wanted to relive out his youth a bit, so he wanted to take me to the Holt End. That is, that's the stand where basically that most of the, the hardcore Villa fans sit. I say sit, stand. And my dad took me there one game when I probably would have been, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> secondary school age, whatever that is. <laughs> um, 24. Yeah. <laughs> so he took me there, and I was really quite uncomfortable because for the first time ever, my dad was chanting and standing up and shouting abuse at the players. He'd not no done way. that before in the family stand. He was like, oh, get up, stop going down so easy and really giving the players stick. I'd not seen that side of him before. But I felt safe. I did feel safe there. But you see people around you who, my dad was fine, but there were other, what, what I hate to see is at football matches is parents swearing in front of their children. And we yeah. witnessed that this season at a Villa game we went to where a dad, was 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 swearing and his son who probably wouldn't have been old, wouldn't have been much older than eight years old was swearing back at the players and mm. we noticed a lot of the fans around us were all looking at this guy and it was really embarrassing it was it was really embarrassing but it happens everywhere unless there's a designated family stand you are going to get those those people who want to stand up swear drink in the stand if they can sneak it in so none of us um have got kids currently um so if you and when you do have a family what would your approach be would you aim for the 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 family specific area i love seeing parents talking to children about football at football matches it's great you it's what i want to be when i'm older say older i'm already 28 probably should start thinking about it (laughs) it's great i love them pass that knowledge on and it's a great experience 29 in about 10 days so hey (laughs) we have a special birthday episode (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's great and I, we always look back on when the games went to as kids with our parents and grandparents etc um, I'd feel totally comfortable sitting in a family stand I really would feel fine doing that but I, there'll be some parents who don't realise there's family areas and just take them anywhere they can get seats listen it's a lottery you can sit in a family stand it doesn't matter I've got a story about this <laughs> obviously so <laughs> shortly after Shock. I went to my first game with uh, my dad and my granddad 
my dad not being a football fan, as mentioned, thought it was a good idea to take the whole family. So we did, as we get said, went and sat in the family stand, me, my sister, my mum, my dad. We went to watch Villa play Leicester. Now, Robbie Savage was playing on the wing that day. And we were in the lower stand of the family stand, i.e. by the touchline. Now, every time Robbie Savage got the ball, I'm in the family stand here. Every time, you wanker, wanker, wank, like literally over oh. my head, everywhere. And my mum was like, this is disgusting. Yeah. This is disgusting. And I was like, my dad yeah, was like, it's... he wasn't, it's not normally like this. It's not normally like this. It's funny. They had friends around that night and um, they were like, oh, come, come say hi, Sam. And um, the, the like, friends. Wanker, and, wanker. Uh, <laughs> listen, I've been told this story so many times. The friends were like, did you have a good time at the football? And I went, yeah, but all I've got to say really is the referees are fucking wanker. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I'm like, I'm like nine years old and I've just repeated it because the guy behind me said it. So I think that says it all about family stance. So my yeah. stance on this is if you're prepared to take the gamble and just educate your child, of course I want to see children at the football. Don't take your child to the football if you're totally snowflakey about it because you're going to hear some language. Mm. Even now, going to any stadium and you, you walk up the steps and you first see the pitch, you, there's just like a, there's like a feeling, isn't there? You, you know, when you, especially oh, as a amazing. child, you can't, especially when you're a child it. as well, though, but it, it, the feeling stays the same. But as a child, I feel like that's, that's such a cool feeling, like to even like to see get maybe wait and get an autograph or you know just to see a football match live. You, your experience is probably you've probably watched it on TV before you've gone to see your first live game. Maybe I don't know how it would work for most people, but that was the same for me. I'd seen football on the TV before I'd seen it live. So when you get there, it's like it's like seeing behind the curtain, you know how it is and how it how it is totally different to watching it on TV. And I think it is special. And if you can do it as a family. I think it's great that the there are parts to being in a football stadium, you know, the tribalism, the chants and things like that, that you can try your best to minimalise, as we've said. And there are there are things you can do, um, like you guys have both said, of, you know, trying to sit in the family stand. But as Greaves has pointed out, yeah. it doesn't matter. It is a bit of a lottery. But what I would say is that I know I would. I, I, I would try and say something to the person about, you know, minding your language. I've seen it myself in the stadium where, someone's been swearing and someone turns around and says, oh, I've got kids. And, and instantly the pastor goes, I'm really sorry They're because it's, yeah. you're, in that, you're in that mob mentality and it's a horrible thing to, to, to say. But when you're surrounded by everyone else, you kind of you become like part of it. Obviously, you don't say anything inappropriate, but you become tribal and you're like, it's them against us. And, yeah. and I, think I, would, I think we'd all like to, to do it, definitely. Um, it's just, the question was, is it, is it safe? I think it is safe for families to go. I think Grease made a great point, though. If you're trying to block your children from the reality of the world, because essentially people are going to swear in, in all like walks of life. People are aggressive. You know, you, you can't shelter your kids from, from everything. You, got, you, you have to experience things. Otherwise, when you get out into the real world, it's a massive shock. But at the same time, you want to try and keep it to a minimum. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And one, I don't really know how to properly answer. But I think in an ideal world, we'd like to include our families for sure. Right, we've made it to the end of another episode. I feel like we covered some some good things. Yeah, I'm gutted it's over. Again, right now, no, I just want you to like introduce a new segment for us to talk about, please. <laughs> you can't let it go, man. You can't let it go. Okay, well, we uh, we really appreciate you listening again. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at Still Nil Nil Pod on Instagram and Twitter. 
and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and um, if you can give us a five star rating on on apple music that would be really appreciated and yeah we we want questions obviously we want you to be a part of this podcast as much as possible so the questions are a really good way of getting involved getting your your voice heard you know even if you want to give your opinions within the question we we, we really appreciate that we love answering your questions silly sillier the better sometimes you know i, I want to hear that roy hodgson is a serial bigamist and <laughs> wants to snog snog semen um yeah we, we want we want all the questions so we, we really do appreciate everyone listening um and getting in touch and yeah we'll we'll see you on the next one bye hey.